Mr. Jones got a flight for his birthday. Um, Where? I haven't seen it. Apparently, Mrs. Jones got oh. three bottles of Blanton's. And for the discerning eye, for those of you listening at home, each horse is in a different position. Beauty. Happy birthday, buddy. I am your host, Danny Paul. With me in the Bob Media Studios is the King of Columbus, the Baron of Bourbon, the man himself, Leon Coventry. Danny, happy Thursday to you, sir. Happy Thursday. It was a good fantasy night for me. First night official for the NFL. TB12 does it again. It done. That's right. That's right. My father-in-law is a Cowboys fan, so of course we were split along family lines. But as we're watching the game, my youngest goes, so we want the Pirates, right? Fuck yeah, little man. We want the Pirates. I love that you your loyalty followed him to Tampa. That's amazing. Yep, yep. I'm, uh, I'm borrowing the Buccaneers, is what I say, because I'm also going to keep an eye on Mac Jones and see how well the new young phenom in Boston is going to be doing for himself. But uh, I'm going to stick with Tommy Cool until he decides to hang it up. And then uh, the top of Bay Toms, what can I say? There's a good commercial today, tonight. I don't know if you caught it, where uh, he's calling people about whatever cryptocurrency he's pushing. And uh, one of the people he calls is some bartender up in Boston. And it's, <laughs> it's his trader on his phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love oh, it. He has such a good sense of humor about it, too. He does. But when you see Gronkowski score a touchdown and you see how well he's playing, and then all of, all of this is just a, an indictment of, of Belichick, that he could come down here and bring all these guys out of retirement and do so well. Mm-hmm. So that'll, that'll go on for a little while longer up there in uh, New England. But uh, we got a show to do. Oh, is that what we're doing? Let's do that then. I think so. So much show, in fact, that uh, we're going to be taking a week or two off after this because we have other responsibilities. But uh, we want to wish happy birthday to Mr. Jones, the other vice host who could not join us tonight. Happy In his birthday. honor, Mrs. Jones got him three bottles of Blanton's for his uh, 42nd. That's love. Now that, that's a woman. There is love. There is love. <laughs> Speaking of Brown. What are you rocking tonight, sir? Tonight, I am going with Basil Hayden. Ah. Fairly accessible. Basil Bell. Virtually anywhere. One thing they do well is packaging, though. If you're not a bourbon lover, if you're not a whiskey lover, but you're looking for something interesting on the rack, it's pretty easy to grab Basil Hayden. It looks different than the others, and Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like a legit bourbon which it is it is it's a good it's a very good bourbon it's just i think uh you know packaged very well it's i've always thought basil hayden is priced a little higher than it its quality is but i will say that the accessibility of it is pretty good if you like it because you can get it virtually anywhere so i like that little paper poncho they put on the bottle too yep that's classy yep, shit. Little, you got the little metal band that goes around. What are you drinking tonight? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, in our next episode of Around the Brown, I have moved on to Canada, eh? Take off, Lee. We're doing our movie. Don't wreck our show, you hoser. It's Canadian whiskey, but it's the Kirkland brand because as friends of the show know, we, we do go to the Costco's. I know that uh, your wife at Busty Bourbon Batch on Instagram loves the Costco's. And I saw this thing and it was this gigantic behemoth gallon bottle of brown for like $19 and I thought I gotta I gotta do it and then I saw oh Canada for around the brown so I have moved on to another country 
Um, it's going to get tougher after this, but I think I saw some Brazilian hooch for hmm. next episode, but I'm going to continue going until I run out of countries that have their own version of whiskey. We did talk about this before. There is a Mexican whiskey that I want to try, not to be confused with mezcal. Mm-hmm. It is actually a whiskey from corn made in mm-hmm. Mexico proper. And I think cool. we'll be able to source that uh, before we put this segment to bed. But it is nice. It has a very lovely nose to it. Mm. It's the palate with honey, and uh, it's a nice daily drinker. comes in a gigantic bottle of very thick glass that is perfect for bar fights <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a variety of other purposes. So good on you, Costco. That's what I like about the Canadian. They're always just a little bit sweet. It's almost like, you know, dessert-type whiskey. I mean, I've always got a bottle of Crown in the house. you mm-hmm. got to have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm not convinced that it isn't Crown. It's got uh, it's got some nice flavors to it. It's a blend, of course, because the Canadians are nice. They want everybody to be included. But uh, yeah, it's uh, go on and pick yourself out some. Highly recommended. Cool. Good. Now that we know what we're drinking, let's talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Could I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Tonight's brown banter comes to us from an unlikely spot, but it's following up on a conversation that you and I had offline. Uh, Mr. Jones came in and talked about it in one of the previous episodes of the show when we talked about wine labels, wine bottle shapes. What is it that might entice you to try a new brown? A lot of it has to do with design. Packaging design is, of course, very influential. Mm-hmm. Bunker and Gamble made a name for themselves on package design. So this one comes to us from packagingmag.co.za, which is a South African package and design magazine. Puts label design in the spotlight. So the 7th Annual Wine Label Design Awards, 4th Annual Beer Label Design Awards, and 2nd Annual Spirits Label Design Awards, which recognize, recognize with an S, recognize outstanding design and packaging as brand extensions that positively influence purchasing behavior. And it talks about a variety of different types. So it talks about packaging, print value, role chain players, big supporters of the Label Design Awards, This is something that's brand new coming out of South Africa is the idea of awarding just the label. We're not even talking about what's in the bottle. You could just put nothing in the bottle. We're talking about how do you package it? What is the presentation? Because as some cooks would say, presentation is everything. Well, it makes a lot of sense, right? We just talked about it with the Basil Hayden I'm drinking tonight. Mm -hmm. If you've done everything on the rack, Go to you go to your local liquor store and you see a couple bottles up there, and one of the bottles looks sharp, looks old, looks it, it is its best chance at branding. And it, we, we live in an era where it's almost taboo. I don't even know if it's legal, I guess it is, but it's almost taboo. You don't see a lot of ads for liquor, mm-hmm. you don't. Occasionally, you'll see uh, uh, McConaughey doing something. You'll, you know, you'll see uh, The Rock pushing his tequila a lot on social media. I mean, that's really how we are seeing uh, spirits being pushed. The, and the, so, really, their best shot to get you to try their brand is make their bottle, make their label stand out among an entire rack of other brown liquors Mm -hmm. so there's a lot to this it's you know they you know i spent a lot of time in the food uh area and and there is a mental uh part to to eating you know the first thing you do they the chefs will always say you eat with your eyes you eat with Mm -hmm. your eyes absolutely what's crazy is we sit here and we watch these cooking shows we watch them we watch them we're not tasting them this is a cooking show what are we doing we're watching food but you can tell watching the presentation. Looks really good, right? You're like, oh, that's mm. right. Yeah, and and every once in a while, you will buy a really shitty bottle of brown because the bottle looks so great. 
And I have one downstairs. It's Ameri- it's American something or another. It's the coolest damn bottle you've ever seen. It's got a snake going around it. The top of the cap looks like it's uh, the cap of a a giant uh, round, a, a bullet round. I mean, it looks badass. It's the worst I've ever tasted. <laughs> it's horrible. So it's definitely one that you put on the rack and say, look how beautiful my bottle is. But it's not one you're going to go out and get. Uh, so. Well, I mean, look no further than your prize Blantons. That's got horses on the top, and the idea is to collect them all like Pokemon, as if mm-hmm. what's inside wasn't as precious enough. Now you have a novelty of let's collect this and make a stop-motion animation of a horse running. There, there yep. is merit to it. I think I told the story before, but I'll tell it again because I think it was early on in the, in the cast. But uh, when I did the tour, kind of the exclusive tour of Buffalo Trace, mm-hmm. The uh, the CEO was telling me about where Taylor came from, Colonel Taylor, E.H. Taylor. Uh, that bottle obviously looks Huge. very old. It's gigantic. Right? Yeah. But there, the reason, what happened was the there was a, a person that lived in the local area there, um, and they were going through their uh, attic, and they found this old bottle of Taylor. Uh, and they ended up bringing it, uh, recipe and all, back to Buffalo Trace and saying, "Hey, I'm pretty sure that you know my family member made bourbon here. Can you look it up?" And lo and behold, it was a very old recipe and a very old bottle and a very old presentation that had been long since forgotten, and. Because this person went rooting through their family member's um, attic, and I don't know if it was post-funeral or whatever, here they have this thing. And it was one of the de- original developers of Taylor. So, uh, you know, I think it was actually a descendant. I think the way he said it, you know, third or fourth down from Colonel Taylor. Fascinating, though. And then they brought it back, said, well, you know, that that's cool. We know the recipe and we... We'll, we'll use this exact bottle design and it's probably a showpiece on anybody's uh, uh, shelf. If you have it, it's, mm-hmm. it comes in that really beautiful tube. You pull it out of there. It's that same feeling that if you buy a brand new phone and you know why Apple never takes mm-hmm. off that peel. It's just, Oh, this is exciting. You're, you're opening something that is really spectacular. And yeah. What's nice for no reason. That's right. And and what's nice about Taylor is not only is the packaging beautiful, but it's a damn good whiskey too. So uh, it's there's 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 a lot to it. And if you nail that combination of packaging and flavor, you you got yourself a Pappy Van Winkle. Hmm. So there's a, uh, there's a gentleman, the, the entire article talks about more the labeling and packaging industry, not so much about what goes in the bottle, but what gets stuck on the outside of the bottle, which is a, an area that I have some experience with in former life. The gentleman that they're talking to in the article suggests um, beyond price points and brand loyalty, packaging is the number one influencer that draws consumer attention to the shelf. It's usually the label and the story that it tells which determine the final purchasing decision, especially among younger consumers. We therefore encourage more conservative wineries to look at breweries and spirit brands, which often think outside of the norm for creative inspiration, and to ensure that they meet the full circle of judging criteria based on a well-thought-out scorecard matrix in terms of creating a fabulous front and back label design and ensuring that they match these with the brands. Messaging. Now, in terms of the branding, marketing 101 is your brand is what people say about you when you're not around. And so the essence of creating something that has a unique personality, such as the Angel's Envy bottle, for example, or the Blanton's bottle, mm-hmm. uh, or the Crown Royale bottle, those all have a unique position statement about them that suggests we are more than just an alcoholic beverage. There is a story here. So much to what you were saying about uh, so when you're out in the store next time and you're looking for something, don't be surprised if your eyes drift off towards what's that weird looking thing. And maybe I'll try it because the bottle has enough personality aside from a standard cylinder with the cork in the top. 
I love that they're calling it out and I love that we're aware of it and it's absolutely a truth and they need to spend a lot of time. It's, it is your only marketing medium, I think. So you got to, you got to make it last and Blanton's hasn't changed its bottle for how many years? Like they, they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, right this bottle, why would you? Like my beloved yeah, Johnny it, Walker only comes in that square bottle, but that's yeah, an iconic. That's what it is. It's an iconic presentation. You know that if it's a square bottle, it's Johnny Walker. That's right. It is your brand, so don't fuck it up. Fucking it. That wraps up brown banter. <laughs> fuck it up. Brown banter. We'll be right back. back let's get into business news news team assemble let's get down let's get down to business and i got news for you today's business news talks about uh, in essence mental health now we talked about how the lockdowns and the pandemic is a form of trauma that's been a kind of continuing theme throughout this podcast because we started it during lockdown so in the various iterations of the episodes that longtime fans of Bottle of Brown have been experiencing. We do go back and forth on what it means to work from home, what it is to find solace in private moments, maybe don't work so hard, make sure you unplug. We definitely have that work-life balance taken into account. The article we want to talk about today, which is kind of a reference of other things that are being picked up in other areas of the world, comes to us from Inc. Magazine, Inc.com. The author of this article is Christine Lagorio Chafkin, and it talks mostly about how Bumble gave their entire company a week off, one of several companies to institute a reset week. The dating app business has useful lessons on how to let your employees unplug. Thoughts on a full week, boom, close the doors, done, nothing. 51 weeks of business a year. I think it's got to happen. Something's got to give. The bubble's got to burst. And I think. As much time as I spent traveling internationally over the last 10, 12 years in my former role, Dee, you've done a lot of traveling, mostly to, to the Asian side of the world, mostly, mm -hmm. but I've, I've spent a lot of my time on the European side. And we're the only stupid assholes that never stop working. <laughs> <laughs> like we are, our phones are always on. We're always answering emails. We never stop. We're trying to outperform the other people that are, uh, you know, they're working with us. It's, you know, I, I know that there's a stigma out there. Maybe we created ourselves that Americans are somehow fat and lazy. Maybe we are fat, but we certainly aren't lazy. We work yeah. our ass off. We work so, so much. And if I am not a big proponent, I don't want anything to come down from the government requiring such a thing. But I will say, if I worked for a company that did this, I would consider that as valuable as anything out there. And I, there's quite a few manufacturers that do this. Yes. Uh, if you work for a manufacturing company, it's, it's not this unheard of. common to shut everything down for a week. Yep. Yeah, it's not unheard of. And it's, you know, when you, when you work with any Chinese manufacturers, you might as well just assume that anywhere near Chinese New Year, you're not going to get shit because they just shut down. Mm -hmm. And good for them because they remember for one, two weeks a year that you're supposed to have a life too. It's not always supposed to be looking forward to your weekend, whatever your weekend may be, Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday night, Wednesday, whatever, whatever you are, whatever industry you work in, that is a shitty existence. And we need to do a little bit better than that, I think. So Agreed. I'm for it. I'm for Agreed. it. Uh, you know, Chick-fil-A does a similar thing where they're not open on Sundays. So guess what? If you've got a hunger for chicken, do it on Saturday or do it on Monday. And we kind of add a little bit of discipline to the consumer to say, if this is what you want, go somewhere else on a Sunday. And I'm a big proponent of this. If you have 
uh, just tell your customers, this is when we're open. You know, 24 Fitness was the gym chain out in Southern California. Guess what? Not all of them are open 24 hours. And guess what? They're doing okay as far as gyms go. I mean, we're talking about on a curve here. But before the pandemic lockdowns, they were open from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. And there's a solid seven hours there where they're just not open. And they still call themselves 24 Fitness. And there is still their a couple of gyms within their network that are actually 24 hours. But you have to be realistic about what am I going to get in revenue out of that extra hour? If I got a call center that's open 16 hours a day, am I going to be just as productive for those extra hours? If I'm going to keep a convenience store open, am I going to get those extra dollars of revenue in those open hours? And for the same reason we're talking about, when you close down the entire office, everything shuts down. You give everybody a week off and that's a full week to reset. And I think that that's the right way to go because I think Nike does it. My former day job did it. Every summer they shut down for the second week of August. And it was just that we're closing the factory. Well, why? Because, mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. If the factory is shut, go home. Do whatever you guess, want. We don't care. Don't wait, I don't understand, work. D. The company survived if they shut down for a week? Imagine that. Yeah, I mean, you tell I, people, you listen, <laughs> the company's going to shut down. Get your orders in now. Get your calls in now. Prepare yourself for the fact that the phones will not be working, the emails will not be responded to, the chat will be off, the website will still work because that's how websites work. But the company is effectively taking a week off. And I think what you get out of it is you get an honest-to-goodness chance for people to literally unplug because they can't work. Yeah. And what concerns me is uh, unlimited PTO or some of these other bullshit things like um, you take vacation whenever you want. It's like, no, you don't. Because that's a trick. That's a, a trick. trick. Right. You know, just like my, my door is always open. It's like, well, I'm not going to walk into the lion's den. But there needs to be some kind of a neutral ground for these things. So for employee development, I think it's a very, very wise thing to do. And some of these big brands are picking up on it. Yes. I was thinking about our, uh, our favorite comedian, Mitch Hedberg, and I know I'm mm-hmm. going to butcher this, but oh, when, you walk, when you walk by, I walk by a dry cleaner and the sign says, sorry, we're closed. You don't have to apologize. It would be unrealistic for me to expect you to be open at midnight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there are layers of truth to every stand-up comedian, and he's right. What, do I need to clean my clothes at 1 a.m.? No, you don't. That's, that's right. Like you don't need to be at a bar at 10 a.m. There, there are things that are reasonable. You know, there, it, I will say this. It is nice to be able to get breakfast all day from a McDonald's or a Jack in the Box, but it is also reasonable to expect that breakfast hours are a set period of time. Yep. You snooze, you lose, and people need to be a little bit more disciplined about how these things work. It's posted, Land- it's published, it's out there. Yep. It's not like you don't have access to that information. Absolutely. And I, I got a landlord story for you, and I'm trying not to butcher this podcast with all my landlord stories, but... I, I just, I've just been recently going through uh, you know, my mid-year check-ins with all my managers, and and there's a theme that popped out, which is we've done a poor job in conditioning our tenants to understand that our resident managers aren't available 24-7. You don't need to send your manager a text at midnight saying you have a light bulb out. So... I took that to heart and now I'm going to put together a really nice pictograph, uh, something, something very smart, smart. Yeah. And, uh, and get that out there and just remind people, Hey, these are humans. They're not on 24 seven. They don't have, they don't need your text in the middle of the night. Now, Hey, you got a flood, you got a fire, you got somebody breaking in. Sure. We want to know about that right then. Emergency line. Yeah. Emergency. We need to know, but, I don't need to know about your broken garbage disposal at 11.59 p.m. That doesn't need, you don't need to send that message. And uh, you don't need to be knocking on the door. You don't need to be paying your rent at 10.30 at night on the last day. All that is uh, uncalled for. So I'm trying to figure out a nice way to play, to put it in there. But they, we've never conditioned the tenants to do anything otherwise. So why would they not, right? It's unacceptable that's not an unacceptable behavior. So why yeah, wouldn't they do it? Tell people, you got to give them a timeline. You got to say, we're going to yeah. do this within three months or a month or whatever, but you blast it out and you keep talking about it relentlessly. 
mm-hmm. until such time as when you do pull the lever of this is the new policy, you don't want people to feel surprised. You don't want them to feel like they've been lied to. It's just, you don't have to like it. It's a policy change. We've given you time to get your affairs in order, but this is the way it has to be for the same reason that you probably raise rents occasionally to yep. uh, deal with inflation. So like this, I'm, I'm not responsible for the way the world works. This is the way it has to be. Right. Um, what I did like about this, so the article says the initiative went so well that Bumble in its July 29th all staff meeting announced it was doubling down on collective time off. And the next year it will provide two full weeks of company-wide reset time and also offer employees unlimited vacation. So the unlimited vacation I already addressed is kind of, but the idea is there are certain holiday periods, even in the United States that are reasonable, such as Thanksgiving week, perhaps the week between Christmas and New Year's. There are times when people are naturally unproductive anyway, and your customers are also not active. So take that time, cut it, consider it an employee perk, and live with it. That's right. No, I love that. I love that it. they've done the test, the test worked, and they're going to continue doing it. And hey, I I don't know if you've been out there. There's a few help wanted signs Mm -hmm. around. And good talent is actually hard to find right now. So... There's a lot to be said for being, it's, it's a job seekers market, not a job givers market right now. And you need to make a good career opportunity. And guess what? Sometimes it's not money. We are in a unprecedented inflationary period in the U S right now. There's no doubt about it. It's not a political statement. Go look at your, gallon of milk and go buy a gallon of gas and tell me I'm a liar. I, that's fine. You know, whatever, whatever you, whatever you, your politics are on that one. But at the end of the day, some companies don't have the extra dollars, right? There's this, Hey, if you want good employees, pay them more. You, sometimes you don't have it. Right. And your money is becoming more and more worthless as a business owner these days. So what can you do to provide value? What's important to employees out there that, might make your role that you're offering out there more appealing. And this is one of those things, right? It's, I wouldn't say it's a completely free, but it's definitely something you can do to attract good talent and keep them some. Yeah. I would, I would say that if you actually did a a very detailed cost analysis by shutting down the office, you shut down all of the utilities required from the headquarter building. So you automatically make money there. There is probably an aggregate measure of healthcare somewhere in there in terms of if you give people a week off, they're not stressed out. They're not going to go to the doctor. They're not going to bleed the insurance business. Um, there's also the fact that when people come back, they're fresh. They're motivated. They've taken a week off because they have to. Yep. And that, to me, I think is, is the biggest thing because when they come back, so take let's take, for example, two separate scenarios of this event. One, they never wanted to leave to begin with. Great. That means they're chomping at the bit to get back. So boom, uber productivity. Two, they couldn't wait to get the hell out. They've gotten the rest they need. And even if they're not interested in coming back, they are probably light years from where they were when you shut down. So it's good business. It's good policy. It's good humanity. Shut it down. Take some time. Be realistic about the fact that your customers will come back because the value is there. And if they don't, reconsider your value proposition. Boom. Mic drop. Mic drop. (laughs) You know what that means now? Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. This one I found fascinating. This one comes to us from Ars Technica. ArsTechnica.com forward slash science forward slash 2021 comes to us from the August edition, August 23rd. The writer in this article is Jennifer Ouellette. Study. Ants create stable tunnels and nests, much like humans play Jenga. The original miners. Ants. When these fuckers They're amazing. Gave, they Ants know exactly what to pull so that the entire tunnel does not collapse. You ever seen the ant farm from the side? Those boys Did are digging. Did you ever have one? And they Did get you ever it. have one? Uh, I don't know if I had one personally, but we had one in class. I was going to say I had one in class too. Yeah. 
amazing. They just understand. They understand instinctively how to go from place to place in something as loose as sand or gravel or just, again, you look to nature. Nature has figured it out. So the, the article starts, ants are prodigious diggers constructing elaborate nests with multiple layers connected by an intricate network of tunnels, sometimes reaching depths of 25 feet. Now, a team of scientists from Caltech has used X-ray imaging to capture the process of how ants construct their tunnels. The scientists found that the ants have evolved to intuitively sense which grain particles they can remove while maintaining the stability of the structure, much like removing individual blocks in a game of Jenga. The team described their work in a new paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. As an ant is digging, he knows, don't touch that one. You want to touch this one over here or the whole tunnel comes down. Hashtag it's, it's, nature. It's amazing. It's amazing. And this is ants. It, you, you watch Blue Planet or Planet oh, Earth or any Blue of those Planet. things? Absolutely. Oh, I love it all the time. I love him. Oh, yeah. The yeah. man. Is, is it Lord Edinburgh now? I believe he's been knighted. I'm, I'm not 100% oh, sure. Sir so David, yes. Sure. Uh, the, uh, but when you watch that, you watch the instincts. Love the, the, uh, the banana reference earlier. This article definitely calls out the how how intelligence is properly measured. <laughs> you know, we keep thinking that it's hey, it's memory. You know, I rem- I memorize this thing. There's there's other kinds of intelligence out there. We call it instinct, but I think instinct is far more broad than we give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Another good example: watching planet earth the other night watching this baby deer up in Yos- I think it was Yosemite I think it's actually what it was called uh it was all about these elk or deer and it was a baby one and the bear comes down and the baby one just knew lay down just lay down and don't move I mean this thing's been awake in life for like four days and th- it knew when it lost its parents and everybody went crazy. It just laid down and didn't move. And the bear didn't come and eat it because it couldn't find it. And by the way, it just happens to have no scent, right? Crazy, crazy stuff like nature that figured this out. I'm just, it's mind blowing. And then after the bear was gone, mom came over, bop, 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 bop. And the, the baby deer pops up and off it goes. I'm like, how is that possible? It is a whole different level of intelligence when you're born with it. And again, we call it instinct. These ants that can create geometric designs that would rival any of our architects out there today. Mm-hmm. And, and what they can do so quickly and as a team that we, we cannot figure out, right? As a community, they, they figure these things out. Any of the ant ones, the ones that live in the ridiculously super hot desert, the ones that live in the rainforest, how they work, how they function as, as, a, uh, as a community is something that hey, I'd, love to, I'd love us to take that from them right now, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our societies are ripping apart right now <laughs> and not realizing we're all working towards the same goal. That doesn't really matter. Uh, apparently to us, but if we could just learn something from the ants, it's how to cooperate with each other and all work towards the end of the same goal. And the great part is that it's predictable and you can measure it. So according to the Institute for Advanced Study in Toulouse, France, several colleagues combined laboratory experiments with ants and computer modeling to identify three simple rules governing how ants build tunnels. One, ants picked up grains at a constant rate about two grains every minute. Two, the ants preferentially dropped their grains near other grains to form pillars, structures within the tunnel. Three, ants typically chose grains marked with a chemical pheromone after being handled by other ants. So they're working together over time based on a system of trial and error. The article goes on to say, a 2020 paper found that the social dynamics of how division of labor emerges in an ant colony is similar to how political polarization develops in human social networks. Ants also excel at regulating their own traffic flow. 
So ants figure out where their place is in line, very similar to the way we argue with each other on Facebook, which mm-hmm. I don't know how you come to that conclusion, and I don't know what the good is that comes from it, but the idea that they kind of figure out what their job is almost intuitively without somebody sitting there barking orders. Yeah. Amazing. And harmony exists. That's where harmony exists. That's the group concluded that when an ant encounters a tunnel in which other ants are already working, it retreats to find another tunnel and only a small fraction of the colony is digging at any given time. 30% of them do 70% of the work. But that doesn't sound like American capitalism. <laughs> oh, careful, careful. I, I promise I wouldn't have any political conversations unless Jones is around. Yeah, I know. I know. We're going to take that with us. We're going we're gonna to have the, I think we ought to have the, the brown, the brown politic or something. We'll just dedicate some time to airing our political grievances. But this is, uh, it's a fascinating article on ArsTechnica.com. Tiny Jenga ants can sense which soil grains to remove when digging tunnels. And the article goes into much more finite detail as to how the ants make their decisions. But suffice it to say, there is much we can learn from nature. Honey, I shrunk the kids. Changed my whole outlook for ants. Absolutely. Yeah. Auntie, I cried when Auntie died. He saved those kids' lives. That's the power of good storytelling. And that wraps up the crank file. Let's get on to Leon's favorite because Florida. Florida. This episode's because Florida comes to us from our friends over at the New York Post. This one's dated July 28th. We're reaching a little bit far back because I found all of these articles in succession and I just kind of stacked them up because we got to go back to them. So we're looking at I love that New York is New York. Post and why does, why does the New Florida. York Post have the insight into Florida? <laughs> anyway, you know probably, why. there's probably people at the New York Post that listen to the show. And if you do, hashtag way to go. Now this is an interesting one. July 28th, 2021. The headline, Florida man injured after sticking his arm in Jaguar pen at the local zoo. All right. First reaction. Go. Don't even tell anything about the story. What's your first gut reaction when you read that headline? What were you trying to accomplish? And mine's good for the Jaguar. That's, I, I, I am a Satanist, I guess. Wait, I don't know. It's the Jacksonville fan. Like, what, you know, no, because that's I, where it takes just, place. It takes place in Jacksonville. So this is a football fan, right? Oh, what about the mascot? It's not the mascot. It's a real animal. And they're in I a cage. Find, I find myself rooting for animals in a cage against stupid people. Every time it's, oh, I, you don't even have to read the article. 100%. I just, I already know I'm, I'm on team Jaguar. Okay. So team Jaguar, let's, <laughs> let's get into this. A Florida man got clawed by a Jaguar at the Jacksonville zoo Wednesday after he jumped over a safety barrier, pause, jumped over a safety barrier and stuck his arm into the enclosure. The man who wasn't publicly identified, but is in his twenties was hospitalized with non-life-threatening injuries. Local outlet WJXT reported. So we can probably just stop the segment right there. That's really all you need to know. He's an idiot, but he happens to be an idiot from Florida. Witnesses told the station that the predatory park visitor had egged on the big cats before he hopped over a gate and into the range of the jaguar exhibit. He then apparently tried to get the attention of the wild animals, leading one of them to swipe his arm. Surprise! This is an individual that wasn't using his head. Deputy Zoo Director Dan Maloney said. He stuck his hand in through the mesh that separates the jaguars from the outside. One zoo-goer said she saw employees cleaning up a trail of blood after the man was carried out with his arm bandaged. He was lucky the jaguar didn't latch on. Otherwise, it would have been a very different story. (laughs) I love your your Floridian accent. I love the picture too. I we, we got to post these articles on um we'll make on sure the site we so that people can see our sources. Notes. Yeah, I'll absolutely yeah. put a link in the show notes. Because this so jaguar man was hospitalized after trying to intimidate a jaguar and hopping over its pen. This is clearly like you you asked for this. Yeah, yeah. Team Jaguar all day long. Team Jaguar all day long. Hashtag Team Jaguar. 
Let's get it trending. <laughs> oh, anyway, I love it. It was a quick one, but it was quick and dirty. Idiot tries it. to, because he, it, did, it doesn't sound like he was, there was peaceful intent here. There's like no he, he wanted to get the cats riled article. up. He wanted, so he wanted to have this altercation with the cats. Who's the, who's I, the Jacksonville rival? Do we know who the Jacksonville rival is? You know, I've been to a couple of Jacksonville Maybe games. I guess thing. I should know. Yeah, I don't know. Jack Warriors are no joke, though. Have you have you seen one in a zoo? Like they a, fucking eat crocodiles, man. No, they're no joke yeah, at all. Yeah, they are no joke. And they they take, they're so strong. They could take animals up a tree and just, like, leave it there for later. That's that's 100-pound animals. They just drag it up a tree. No problem. The jaguar. Yeah, so good. Good yeah. for the jaguar. Good on Team Jaguar. Hashtag Team Jaguar. <laughs> that's a fun file. crank file thanks <laughs> we'll be right back all right welcome back let's get into parenting we can make kids right now that's why we're here it's not the years it's the mileage Today's parenting talks about something that I think we deal with on a regular basis, which is something that I think even adults struggle with. Uh, Leon, I know, no, I do. I got, a, I got a bit of a sweet tooth from time to time. It's sugar, and sugar mm. is dangerous. Sugar is the most a, addictive drug. Yes, it is a poison. Make no mistake, alcohol, sugar are very close relatives to each other, and so while you're enjoying your brown, know that it eventually breaks down in the bloodstream and kind of becomes a Sugar, but we're talking in this case about refined sugars, sugars that are made in the laboratory. When you eat an orange, an orange is awesome. An orange tastes wonderful. It's the reason that everybody loves fruit. Now, when you eat an orange, it also comes with the fiber of the actual flesh of the fruit itself. Whether when you're synthesizing orange juice or you're synthesizing the sugar from the orange, you're not actually getting all the benefits of it. You're just getting the sweetness. So what I want to talk about now is um, we give our kids candy. It's There are times when it's a bribe. There are times when it's a reward. There are times when it's just, they want it. They're kids. You know, you can't eat a lot of sugar as you get older. You can certainly get sick by having too much. What I found here in this Journal of Nature, uh, which is dated 18th August, 2021, Patricia Nunez and Dimitrios Anastasio are the authors of the article. Fructose in the diet expands the surface of the gut and promotes nutrient absorption. That's code for sugar makes you fat. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Feeding mice high fructose corn syrup, a widely used sweetener in human diets, has been found to drive an increase in the surface area of the gut that is associated with enhanced absorption of dietary nutrients and weight gain. So it's not so much that sugar makes you fat, it's that sugar expands the absorption of nutrients. So perhaps eating sugar makes you hungry, which makes you eat more, which gives you a caloric surplus, which makes you fat. Interesting. The incidence of obesity has been steadily increasing, tripling globally between 1975 and 2016 at a high cost to public health. Obesity predisposes individuals to various diseases, including cancer, and the number of obesity-associated deaths globally each year estimated at 2.8 million is similar in scale to the reported COVID-19-associated deaths in the ongoing pandemic. Although fat-rich diets have taken much of the blame for the rise in obesity, excess consumption of processed sugars and high-fructose corn syrup in particular strongly implicates in diet-induced obesity. Now, this is something that I think people have been at least marginally aware of, is that high fructose corn syrup is just as bad as any other kind of processed sugar, whether it be cane sugar, beet sugar, or any kind of sugar. The sugar molecule itself, uh, fructose, sucrose, there's a number of different chemical compounds that equal, you know, in the chemistry parlance of sweetness. Fructose is a bad one. And high fructose is a really bad one. So the idea of eating these types of compounds in a diet, such as uh, a carbonated soda, for example, if you're going to have a Coke or a Pepsi or a Dr. Pepper, it's going to have a lot of high fructose corn syrup in it. 
also, this is permeating in other areas of the world. You're going to find this in hamburger buns. You're going to find this in beer. Bud Light puts high fructose corn syrup in their beer. And the marketing campaign that came out a couple of years ago was, air quotes, drinkability. By putting sugar in something, you make it more palatable. If you actually eat organic bread, it fucking sucks. And so there's oh, yeah. a very overloaded amount of sugar put in to make it palatable for the American diet. What do you think about this, sir? Does it bother you as much as it bothers me? I think I'm really, uh, it makes me feel like a terrible parent because I know uh, we have a, you know, we occasionally have the Pop-Tart morning, you know. Mm-hmm. I know that's not the healthiest thing in the morning, mm-hmm. but it also gets, it gets the little girl moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets us motivated to move. You said it before where sometimes, it, you know, candy's a, a prize or a, a motivator. Uh, I, I think it's unfortunate for us in general that unhealthy is typically more accessible and cheaper. Yeah. And if that continues to be the trend, which why wouldn't it be? Uh, then it's going to continue to cause huge problems, especially as we go through the skyrocketing inflation that we're dealing with and where your, your dollars, you know, is able to buy less. It's so you're going to, if you, if you haven't, if you're not making more money, but your dollar is worth more, not worth as much, those fresh fruits that you talked about, those oranges, those types of things, it's going to be, it's not going to be as easy to get at some point. You just want a full belly, you know, right. and you're going to go for these things. Um, I, I do, I have a really good friend uh, I used to work with and he, he was a, a chunky monkey and he was definitely, uh, definitely wearing the stretch pants and he went with a sugar-free diet. He quit uh, drinking, which is not something that I will ever entertain unless <laughs> I'm forced That's to. something you subscribe to. No, I, I don't, I don't encourage anyone in the podcast to do that, but he did cut out sugar. And I'm telling you, this dude dropped weight like you'd never seen before. And I'm like, are you running like miles a day? Like, what are you doing? Sugar is the most addicting drug out there. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake. You don't need to go to Jenny Craig. You don't need to go to Weight Watchers. You don't need to have some special pressed juice. You don't need some cleanse. Here is the secret to losing weight. Stop eating fucking sugar. That's it. That's it. Stop eating sugar. You'll be fine. You're going to lose weight. I promise you. I promise you. So it's it's not a popular uh, boat and I do agree with you with, Hey, we somehow we got so smart that we pulled the delicious part out and the part that we didn't want to eat the pulp and all the other stuff we, we, we tossed to the side. I do drink a small glass, about, about eight ounces or six to eight ounces of orange juice every morning. Mm-hmm. I always have. And I started doing that because my 96 year old great grandmother told me that that was a secret to her long longevity. And I just ever, I've always done it and it's my vitamin C boost in the morning. I, I just really like my small glass of orange juice. I also know it's loaded with sugar. It's probably getting me off and running just as much as a cup of coffee. I have to drink later in the, in the morning too, but. Well, it is important to denote the idea of natural sugars versus synthesized or processed sugars, because one of the candidates for the crank file that I actually have on the back burner is an article where scientists have figured out that pizza, cold pizza, is healthier than most breakfast cereals nowadays. And they actually went into a breakdown of how it's more protein rich, it's got more breads, it's got more of the compounds that you need for a healthy diet as opposed to the sugary crap that we feed our kids in the morning. And my kids mm-hmm. love Lucky Charms and Crunch Berries, and it's got all these different dyes and sugars and processed foods and all that stuff. They love it. Yep. But I can't help thinking to myself, the reason we do this is because we don't have time or energy, and we just want to get them out the door and to school on time, and yet That's they're right. eating shit. We could just as easily give them cold pizza. 
Yep. What I want to talk about for any of you listening that aren't aware of this is this is an article coming from Metro, which is a magazine in the United, in the United Kingdom, so metro.co.uk. It's an old one. It's, dedicated, it's uh, dated July 29th, 2015. This is what happens to your body when you drink Coke. And we're talking about Coca-Cola, of course. Within 10 minutes of drinking one 330 milliliter can, 10 teaspoons of sugar will hit your internal system. The sugar hit is so intense that you would normally vomit, except the phosphoric acid inside the Coke cuts the flavor so you can keep the liquid down. In the next 40 minutes or so, your pupils will dilate, your blood sugar will spike, and you'll get a huge caffeine hit. After 60 minutes and the rave inside of you is complete, you'll crash, you'll need to pee, and you'll become irritable. You'll want another Coke. Coke is not just high in high fructose corn syrup, see above, but it is also packed with refined salts and caffeine. Regular consumption of these ingredients in high quantities you find in Coke and other processed foods and drinks can lead to higher blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, and ding, 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 obesity. So that was amazing to me that if you actually looked at 10 teaspoons of sugar, go over it. If you have measuring spoons in your kitchen, go get a teaspoon and put 10 of those into a cup and take a look at it because that's one Coke. All right, listen, I got to jump in here. I really feel bad for the lonely hacky sack that had to sit on the ground for fucking 10 minutes while this thing was being written. This <laughs> is a little bit... <laughs> This is a little bit overboard. Look, it's a fucking Coke. Let's not pretend you're you're drinking some piece of toxic. It's horseshit. We're humans. We process things just fine. And you can have a Coke every once in a while. You don't need to stay away from like it's a can of acid. You know what? If I'm having a really downer day, I'll drink a Red Bull. That's fine. I know you got a Red Bull up on, on the screen right now. Is it the best thing for me? No. Is the, is the whiskey we're drinking tonight for, uh, is it the best thing for me? No. No. But it makes me feel good, and mental health counts too. So fuck that shit. I think it was a little bit hardcore. I, I do appreciate the analogies they threw out there, but I think it's a little, that's a little bullshit. I'm so. not an enemy of Coke. In fact, if Coke wants to sponsor the pod, I'm perfectly happy with having that discussion. What I think is if Coke is a regular part of your diet rather than a once in a while gift to yourself, I think it's an indication of a larger problem. If you're eating candy, if you're eating cookies, if you're eating things that have a lot of processed sugar in them, because you're already eating a lot of processed sugar and the things that you don't think are candy, you should seriously take a look at what that is doing to your metabolism. Because as the article in Nature very explicitly states with science-backed research, High fructose corn syrup, which is the number one ingredient in most of our products nowadays on the shelf at the grocery store, causes an inflammation of the lining in which it rapidly enhances absorption of nutrients, which says, even though you think you're full, you're not. And you mm -hmm. want to keep eating. And I'm a big fan of the diet that says, calories in, calories out. And it doesn't matter to me what kind of calories it is. Because in my mind, if you burn it, you can eat it. Because what, Phelps burned like 12,000 calories a day when he was training. Chad Ochocinco said he'd eat Big Macs and drink Cokes because he burned 7,000 calories a day. It's like if you get up and you're out and you're burning, then it shouldn't really matter what you eat. But if you don't, if you sit at a desk all day, then no, you can't go have a triple big Big Mac and two cheeseburgers because you're not moving. For all of you that are just tuning in, we are actually talking about Coca-Cola, not marijuana. Go ahead. Continue. Everything you just said makes it sound like we're on the green podcast. Does have high fructose corn syrup in it? I hope not. No, but all the symptoms you just described is absolutely like on the button. Go back and listen to it. It's like you were describing a pothead who has ridiculous cravings. <laughs> but it's the same feeling. It is an addiction. It is the same feeling. So and if you people go the, have to uh, get the munchies. Well, if, if you go on the interwebs and you put sugar in drinks and you click on images, there are plenty of examples of somebody that has actually taken the amount of sugar in a drink and made a physical representation of it. So as I cycle through these, for those of you listening at home, there are stacks of sugar cubes. There are Ziploc baggies of sugar that show that Coke, Nest Tea, Red Bull, pineapple juice, 
all of them have so way far, too Danny, much I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, what no, I would don't think accept this. It's frustrating. No, we haven't cured cancer. We have I not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. Most wonderful I'm just example about of somebody it. trying to take care of themselves. But if you want to know what's actually in your drink in terms of processed refined sugar causing problems for you, all you need, no, no farther than a search engine. You know, the sneaky ones, though, as you're bringing up all these pictures, always in that top third is some kind of iced tea, Snapple. which that it's sneaky. Yeah. Snapple. Snapple's just oh, yeah. as evil. Yeah. I mean, if you talk to somebody that says, I hate tea, it's because that's real tea. When yeah. You start looking at Nest tea, Snapple, some of these sweet teas, it's because it's loaded with sugar. I mean, I, how is sweet tea or... Snapple or Lipton Brisk or any of these, how is it any different than a Manhattan or the old fashioned in some of our earlier conversations about brown? You've dumped sugar in it to make it palatable. Yep. All right, I gotta gotta get off my soapbox because (laughs) I'm not the one who has a loathing moment in this show. That show belongs to our friend Leon. So we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's time for Leon Loads. Danny, tonight I am really going to be tiptoeing the political line on this one, and I don't Ooh, mean to. I don't mean to. What and, and when I say political, I mean politically correct. Ah, yes. Well, as that's you not know, political in my mind. As you know, that line is rapidly moving to, a, a, you know, the words we use, uh, how we use them are constantly under scrutiny like never before because words matter. And today, somebody shared with me a a video of a mother who was going off. I want to say it was TikTok, and hopefully we can find this and and share it in our notes afterwards. But she went off about how angry she was that her husband called their daughter a princess and how insulting calling the princess, her daughter princess was. And that we should be referring to our daughters instead of princesses, which Disney has, has labeled as angry or I'm sorry, not angry, but uh, in need of a man to come save them. Ah. Uh, I need of, Except uh, always in desperation. No, except any princess in the last 20 years. <laughs> Go watch any fucking Disney movie and yeah. tell me. Moana. You know, if anyone should be pissed at Disney, Elsa? it should be men. We've been left out of the conversation. Men have been left out of the conversation. It's all about strong women conquering shit. I, I, I have a daughter. They watch Disney like crazy. Everyone from Ariel on has just been a strong princess getting shit done and they don't need a prince to come and save them. So I was very frustrated with that. So as I was trying to find this article, I started Googling mom doesn't like princess, you know, the term princess. And this is a thing. Go do it. Go Google it. You will find many, many articles, Huffington post. You got, you got YouTube, you got fatherly.com, all these things saying, don't call your daughter a princess. Don't call your daughter a princess. So first of all, I named my daughter after a princess. The second thing is I'm the king, baby. And if I'm the king, then she's a princess and I married a queen. All these things are fine, right? All of these things are fine. I think that where I get frustrated is that your interpretation, your belief, don't push that shit on me. You know, I love my daughter and it is an endearing term. If I call her princess, I'm not trying to belittle her. I'm not trying to disarm her and I'm not trying to make her look or feel like she needs to be taken care of. It's my princess because I'm the king, you know, and I, and I, I, and I don't think I'm really a king, but I don't think that it is an insulting term. I understand the other side. I do understand this patronizing 
thing. I think we all need to take a big fucking breath and, and stop focusing on this shit. Do you, are we really, are we really causing our kids to be raised as weaker individuals because their daddy called their daughter a princess? Is this really the cross we're going to die on? Or can we just move the fuck on? That's, that's my loathing tonight. I, I just, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, I know you have two boys. I have a girl. I I'd just love to know, am I completely out of bounds on this? No, no. The wonderful thing about these types of conversations is you really want to look at the speaker because in my mind, you're, you're, you're dancing around it. The content is not as much important as the intent and the speaker because she's projecting her insecurities onto her children. The reason that I think princess gets a bad name is because of the connotation implied of if you are a princess, you need a prince, which that's the problem. I need a prince, not that I am a princess, because as you rightfully put, you go back a couple of decades and every Disney princess has been fucking badass by themselves, sans man. It's right. the same thing about, you know, boys will be boys. It's like, well, if a boy is an asshole, then no, he's not a boy. He's an asshole. So I, I don't want to go around with the idea of the thought of a label in itself having meaning. I think, I think the meaning needs to have intent behind it. If you raise a child thinking that she needs to be provided for by somebody else, then a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Don't, princess doesn't matter to me. It's the, it's the thought behind what it is you're trying to say. So I think your load is dead on. But if you're going to backlash against that woman, it should be, does it matter that you call her a princess or does it matter what the word implies? And I'm kind of going a little matrix here because I'm really excited about the fourth one, but it's the same idea. Yeah. It's weird yeah. To think I just of a saw robot. the pre-preview today. I have to That's watch that. Good. Sorry. Oh, I can't wait to watch it. Go ahead. But I think about that scene in the subway of you think it's weird to hear a robot talk about love. Well, love is just a word. What matters is what the word implies. So. If you're upset about calling your daughter a princess, it's not the word. It's the connotation of what a princess is in your mind. Because I saw a really funny meme the other day that when Disney bought up all of the assets of Fox, that means that aliens are Disney princesses. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, it falls within the category. It sure does. So like, I'm, I think, I'm with you, but it's, it's, you know, fuck her because you're attaching value to a word that is subjective. And whenever value. you're, you're value casting to that a word. generalized judgment against something that's subjective, you're the asshole. So right on, man. Thank you. Thank you. I feel better about it because, you know, it's a, it's a fine line we're tiptoeing these days. You, you really got to think about what you say before you say it, because even though you're intense off the words, words every day are being banned. <laughs> Don't say this word. You can't say that word. Don't say this word. Don't say that word. And I'm putting, I'm drawing my line in the sand and say, I'm going to call my fucking daughter a princess and go pound sand. And you're not going to tell me that I can't dote over my daughter. Yeah. And, and again, endearing terms, come up with a different word. You know, call her a warrior. Call her whatever the fuck you want. The idea is, your definition of princess is not the same as this mom that you're talking about. And the idea that she has some ownership over this word is absurd. Well, she, she went down and in, in the video, she went down the line to say, we don't need to be calling them princesses when they're three or four years old. We need to be talking. We need to be calling them my little scientist or my little president or my little and empowering names, not princess that makes them feel weak. Which, I'm like, which again, what? comes with her definition of a princess, because if you That's look right. at the princess of Sweden or you look at the princess of Monaco, or you look at some of these people that have the title of princess, they're actually doing some very stimulating humanitarian work. Such that they're not waiting for a prince to come along and save them. So it's not, That's right. this isn't the end of pretty woman lady. Princess is mm -hmm. simply a term on a Royal family tree. It's not a state of being. Mm -hmm. oh, fucking A, Leon. Fucking A. Well, I thought this was a good show. 
I think you were very articulate tonight, and I appreciate every moment of it. Yep. I, I'll be honest, though. This Basil Hayden went down pretty smooth tonight. Yeah. And uh, I can feel it. Yeah, I mean, so my, I, uh, my Canadian hooch, it was, uh, was, not, it was a very, it was a delicate brown. And I think the, <laughs> some of the closing thoughts that I have is, if you get to the point where you're getting into heavy pours, do you think there's a stronger brown out there? Or do you think it's time to take a break? Oh, what are your closing thoughts on that? Uh, always pour more. So I'm oh, not a good yeah. influence okay. on anyone. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You're you're the you're the good. You're the I'm the I'm the red one on on your left side. And and uh, actually, if 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 the video was posted, you would see you would see D wearing white and me wearing red, and that's very very perfect for i think the way this, this, does fit. this does fit if we want to apply this to the to the lantern core of dc comics then yes you are the red lantern because you have rage my friend <laughs> i came to this conclusion because every time i have a couple of beers i hate how i feel the next morning and then i hate how i feel throughout the course of the day and this could be a product of age last night for whatever reason i decided to pour myself a glass of cachaça which is kind of the brazilian version of rum and I woke up this morning feeling pretty good, despite the regular pour. And right now I feel pretty good with our beloved Brown, but I'm wondering, am I going to feel cachaça tomorrow morning? Look, I think I'm a firm believer that you drink the good shit. I, I prefer drinking one or two fingers of the good stuff a night over having a six-pack of beer. All day long. I think our audience deserves it. I think the Magic 23 demands it. Yes. Yeah. So uh, final parting thoughts was uh, have some variety. Now, we do love our bottle of brown, but bottle of brown is anything. If your brown is Coke, which we've kind of demonized tonight. If your brown is iced tea, if your brown is water, again, you do you, but allow for some variety even in that case. And so if your brown is water, show, why are you listening to this? I'm sorry, Danny. I got I got to. I would you like to think to that there is more content <laughs> going on in these discussions than simply getting hammered. Now there is lots of things going on. I certainly don't want to cancel out everybody that doesn't like to drink. There are some teetotalers uh, somewhere in the Magic Twenty Three. It's got to happen it's, for sure. It's so important that we have two two different outlooks on the show. I, I appreciate everything you're saying. You're absolutely spot on. I just I just don't know that I. Well, I'm, I can I'm identify gonna, with these water drinkers. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna stop doing what I do. I, I named the podcast for a reason. <laughs> but that's our show. Uh, you can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. You can even uh, email for Leon for for Danny for any of the guests that we have on the show. You can also call us at six zero two five two nine four five six two. Leave a voicemail message. If it's a good one, we'll play it on the air. And we'll definitely answer any questions that you have. Bottleofbrown.com is where you can reach us. And we have a Instagram page as well as a LinkedIn page. We want to grow the Magic 23. And we can't do that unless you don't share. So hit subscribe if you're an Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like the show, please tell a friend. That's it for this week. And until then, my glass is empty, sir. What about you? Mine is too. Until next time. Until next time, sir. Thank you. This place is dead anyway, man.